There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome back to The Ruck. We've got Olympic winners with us this week. We have Curry Cup winners with us. And we've got the 1983 Dorking Under-16 tennis champion. We've also got Alex Lowe, man of the match and all-round hero in the rugby writers' slaughter of the RFU in our annual cricket match. So once again, the ruck is brought to you by an elite cast of champions. I'm Owen Slot, he of the Dorking Tennis Triumph, well-remembered. On an arguably more stratospheric level of achievement, our Olympic champion is Ben Ryan, our only podcaster ever to have had his face on a Fijian banknote. Ben coached Fiji to their Olympic gold at the Rio Olympics, a wonderful story which is now for me the best sports book of the year. Seven Seven, the beautiful chaos of Fiji's Olympic dream. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, ben, great to have you here. Great to be here. That was a nice intro. Thank you, Owen. Well, I worked yeah. on it for you. Yeah, you know, no, that's lovely. And all that. Big first time welcome to Nick Easter, he of 54 England caps. But now, really interesting, back in the UK from his position on the coaching staff of the Tull Sharks in Durban, uh, who he has just helped to lead to victory in the Curry Cup. Nick, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Let's start by talking us through what that was like, the Curry Cup, the final. The, um, we sort of see it on a TV a bit here, but I've never been. To, have you been to one, Alex? No. Probably not as strong as it used to be, you know, back in the sort of apartheid times and just out of isolation. But they changed the format this year. Um, much shorter, much more of a sprint sort of format. So every game mattered. And it was great to be a part of, you know, understanding the sort of philosophy down there where they, you know, prioritise their training and their coaching, how they train, and actually what it means to them, because it is an age old competition. You know, I think it's been going since 1891 or something like that. And uh, they hadn't won it for five years and uh, they were under a bit of pressure to do the, um, do the business. And it's always sweet when you win in someone else's backyard. And so it was down in Cape Town, which was painted uh, black and white for about two nights afterwards. Um, so it was pretty epic and it was great to be a part of. So you did that for a short stint then, but are we allowed to talk about what's happening next? Yeah, at the moment um, I'm back for a couple of months. Um, it's My wife's expecting our first in just under two weeks. So I did promise her because she, she didn't come out with me. Yeah, uh, She was too busy with work. She came out for you know 10 days to... Um, for a little bit of uh, obviously R and R, but uh, too busy with work, so I've obviously got to do uh, the dutiful husband thing. And so for the last month, building the nursery, all that sort of stuff, making sure she's all right, cooking. It must be meals. epic, yeah. Oh yeah, it's great fun. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I, I said that I promised to do that. And meanwhile, when I was back over there, you know, we got on really well, and um, they want me 
to be back there for Super Rugby. Um, at the moment, just sort of finalising, you know, what's wow. going on, and I think it's just be a great experience. Um, so you'll have a whole season of Super Rugby coaching ahead of you, by the looks of things. Yeah. You know, if all goes well, I think this week's obviously a big week in terms of, you know, where we go with that. And, uh, you know, it's uh, a great opportunity, you know, life experience. I think that's what it's about as well, but also from a career perspective and to continue to work. You know, I did for three months when I was out there Um, and a sign of them being really good to me is look, their pre-season's already started. Yeah, it started sort of this is their third week they're in and when it was muted uh, about a couple of months ago, I said, well, I can tell you something, I'm going to be at home, you know doing fatherly duties and husband duties for, for a couple of months over, over Christmas and New Year. So, look, that's absolutely fine. You come mid-January, end of January. Boys know what, you, what you're around. You know, we can still Skype and FaceTime. What, what's in your, what's been your role there? Um, or what will be I was your doing role the for, there? I was doing a forwards and breakdown. Right. Um, but it's quite interactive. You know, it's much more of a holistic approach as opposed to sort of compartmentalising. You know, that's, that's what you do. Everyone sort of has a... You're in charge of your own aspect, clearly, but uh, everyone has a sort of say, and it's all joined up. Um, and you've obviously seen a bit of those Dupier, Dupree brothers um, who've n- appeared at Sale now. Sale, yeah. Rayton? Yeah, yeah, very good players. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going. It wasn't a great spectacle yesterday, uh, <laughs> to, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> That's the Bar-Sale game, yeah, which uh, know, looked like know. it might be the first ever nil-all Premiership it, game it, in history, it, I think. It was a proper turkey. Yeah, 7-all. Yeah. Um, so, Ben, just hearing what, what Nick's doing in terms yeah. of a young coach... He's done, did a season, two seasons of coaching Harlequins. Two, two. Yeah. Two seasons at Harlequins, and now he's uploading all this South African experience. That might, you presumably think that's a great thing to yeah, do, don't you? Yeah, I, I think that's an awesome, awesome um, plan for Nick. And just that, you know, we need more British coaches going overseas and getting not just IP and experiences and tasting different things, being in different environments, just getting more bandwidth, you know, and then hopefully at some point returning back to these shores and. And putting it back into the domestic game, but yeah, no, it's you know New Zealand have been doing it for decades, and, and yeah. we're just so far behind all of that. And we just, you know, I think occasionally like English coaches don't necessarily get the raps they should, so they don't go overseas because they're not offered jobs. Um, but but I think that's starting to turn a little bit, you know. And and I guess the success of some of the domestic coaches, you're seeing how well they're they're going overseas. And see like Stuart doing well. At, I, know mm. it's, I know it's only just about overseas, <laughs> but he's still he's still done a, a good job there. Joe Wesley's over in France at the moment. A couple of others yeah. over there. Um, but what it's happened still, to Rory you know, Teague at, um, uh, in France? Because he he got a, a head coach it, job, didn't he? He did. Didn't, clearly it, didn't work very well. No, it didn't. I mean, like massive pressure down in Bordeaux um, to get results quickly, and um, it, it didn't work out for him there. So I think he's he's returned, and then Joe's Joe stepped up, from what I gather. You know, I work and I'm consult for the French Federation, so. Um, you know, I hear what's Sorry, going I should have known that. You know, yeah. Ben's a consultant in blinking every part of yeah, sport like all over finger, the world. Yeah. So, of course, you're a consultant there. So, yeah, so I, so I can I sort of know what's happening at top 14 level and where they, yeah. they, they move around and everything but else. But there are a few English coaches in top 14 now. Uh, Joel Ab, Joe Ab's yeah, taking a head yeah, coach position next season. Yeah, it? and he's got a really good rep over in France yeah. as well. So, I mean, some settle in well, can speak the language quickly, can assimilate to the culture. And understand what's going on, and then um, yeah, I mean, top fourteen is a really interesting league. You know, the, the demands of winning at home, the demands of the owners, and then the bizarre way it works out on away away games, and and the S and C, the conditionings there are very different to to the Premiership. For a young coach going over there, I mean, you've got a lot to deal with there, and a lot of balls in the air. You've got to manage, lead, and coach, and and so again, it's another really good 
league to go over to if it's you're interesting you know, that. English coach. The, the, the experience of English players in France, Alex, I, I all find it confusing because quite often you hear, kind of, I think what you're suggesting, that in certain areas, S&C in particular, they don't just don't seem to be on the same page almost. And yeah. then you see some some players who are so passionately proud of what they see there, what they've learnt there. I mean, he, Chris Ashton only did a season there, but he came back sort of singing the praises mm. of, he, of his experience, didn't he? Yeah, and I think that underlines why I mean, Eddie Jones is a big advocate of of players and coaches. I mean, players can't go abroad because of the RFU rules. If you go away, you don't play for England. But coaches are different, and Eddie Jones, from the day he arrived, has, has been advocating coaches going abroad. And I, I went to see Dean Ryan a few weeks ago, and one of his roles is coach development. And he was he used you, Nick, as an example, actually, of, of how no coach is going to turn down an opportunity to go from playing at Quinns to coaching at Quinns. <clears throat> but he was saying that one of the reasons they're trying to get premiership coaches into an, like an England setup, England 20 setup, um, is because it's a breadth of experience that you need. And, and you can't, you almost, and Eddie talks about it a lot, you, you sometimes you need to fail to, to improve. How do you guys see the, that coach development structure in, in England? Because you've gone a, abroad, Nick, and you, you know, Ben, you had d- totally different experiences and, and that one in Fiji. Is it set up to... To, to assist young coaches and because um, your experiences in South Africa are presumably yeah, really broad. And, broadly and Dean Ryan's been really good. You know, since left Quinns in the summer, you know, he's been keeping in uh, in touch, um, asking about experiences that I'm, you know, in the process of doing my level four as well, which they've set up and got, um, you know, got my mentor there. I'm actually meeting him on Wednesday um, to go through things. I think that's in its embryonic stage yeah. as far as the RFU and you know, the clearly that. We we know how the structure works. It does are a few in clubs, you know, it's very very different. But mm. they they are actually looking out for young coaches and you know looking to develop them, looking to bring them through um, as you know wherever they want to go as head coaches, DORs. Um, but generally, uh, in fact, they want them to actually be at English clubs. Mm. So it's not a case of developing you to be as good a coach as you can, and then you know you bugger off <coughs> around the other side of the world. Um, it's actually to bring you back into uh, the English game. But that's how the Kiwis work, isn't it? Go go away, improve, learn, come back, and then yeah. then, then we and then, win. and then they don't let any of us go down there. <laughs> but well, with Harlequins, you're supposed that isn't that supposed to be the system? You should you should be going down there. Isn't um, it? Yeah, but I think it's it's still going to be very very difficult. I mean, I'm not sure how that uh, agreement works out. I think it's over a multitude of uh, areas. Um, you know, young players coming over. I mean, they don't mind players going over there. You know, sending guys, mm. young academy mm. guys, getting a bit mm. of experience in ITM Cup or club rugby over there, whatever it might be. And uh, I think similarly, you know, there's a pathway. You know, I was out with a lot of the Quinns lads on the, on Saturday, and they were looking at an under twenty one player from New Zealand. I think coming over and getting a bit of experience, mm. or maybe possibly signing him. Yeah. Um, because you know they have a pecking order over there, and you know if you're sort of third or fourth down there, it's it's time to cash in your chips sometimes instead of trying to uh, you know live the all black dream that's never going to arrive. Ben, from what you've seen, sort of lots of different coaching structures and pathways. Who who in rugby who does it best, and where do you think England is in in, in that perspective? Because I, I get the impression that we we do identify and and develop quite a few young coaches, but Certainly, get, getting them to jump from being assistants to DORs. I mean, the amount of DORs that the a club does badly, a DOR comes in from from New Zealand. It almost seems sort of de rigueur now, doesn't it? I mean, how, how do you sort of view all that? I'm not. I see. I, I'm not as I'm not as um, positive, perhaps, about the the RFU's um, 
strategic <laughs> planning around coaches. I don't think that's. I just don't. I just don't think they 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 are targeting the young coaches as much as maybe they did. You think of, like, I remember Kevin Barring. You know when he was hmm. when he was involved. And, you know, he targeted, like, I remember, you know, I was going up through championship. Mark Mabletoft was coming through academy at Saracens, you know, and, and very early on for the two of us, Kevin kind of put him under our, his wing and started helping to develop us and then targeting opportunities at the RFU. Um, I don't know who does that anymore because it seems to be a little bit of a hole. And, you know, and, and, and for me, it's a, big, it's a big alarm bell when coaches with IP like John Fletcher and Pete Walton and Russell Earnshaw get get um, removed or move on yeah we just so I should just, just I mean that's a good point that, so the, the men, coaches you just mentioned are, have been running the England under 18s for yeah, a long period a long and, and they've been hugely highly rated by the players who've come through haven't they and, yeah. then, and in the summer they all just got the flick they did and, and like there's nothing wrong with with saying as a coach that's your speciality age group <laughs> rugby develop players bring them through I mean if you look in, in other sports like football or collegiate basketball you know coaches that's their that's their career you know they they understand how to work with 16 to 24 year olds or whatever and they develop them through um new zealand's more more joined up thinking you know mm. the player part the, the the coach pathways are far more straightforward it's a smaller base there's less coaches there's less players so it's a bit easier to identify um i think most of the really good work on coaching um pathways is coming through at the better premiership clubs so let's take Exeter for example. I mean, they got some really good ex-players, guys they brought bracket back in that are coming through coaching pathways, like Ali Hefer, for example, Ricky Pello, as well as the ones at the top. So it's, um, it's club-led rather than RFU-led. You think? I think that's that's where more there's more stuff going on at the moment. Um, because if if we if they say it's integrated, so why does why does it stop at international level where Eddie's got a staff full of overseas coaches? And Eddie's remit when he got the job was to bring through they're, young they're English coaches hey, there's, there's English coaches there that could be filling the roles of, of you know and that's nothing against people like Scott um, in the, as back but you know I could name four or five guys in, it, in English rugby but isn't the answer to that question why is Eddie not brought any in because Eddie's Eddie and he <coughs> he wants to promote who he knows and, and so, what he likes yeah so then England, the RFU have got to admit they haven't got a seamless <coughs> coaching pathway and they haven't got um, because if it stops at the at, at first team level and then everyone gets on with things below that does that, I don't know if that really makes sense. It's a bit like Man City saying, look, we're just having the fir first 11, that's, that's what we're doing. We don't really care about what's coming through Academy. We've got mm. no pathway um, because that, that drives style, that drives talent ID, that drives the type of coach you want, the environment you want to create. Mm. If you suddenly got ton of two, two silos, effectively, mm. them and us, that doesn't quite... That, for me, that doesn't... That, you know, we seem to have gone backwards a little bit. I remember when Brian Ashton was involved and and Clive and they had like National Academy coaches that were really mm. like seeing you know so Brian would have seen Sips coming through the system <coughs> and, and earmarked him got him involved it would have been a bit bit more of a pathway would, it, Nick, what, what's as, as, a, as a young coach so I, I'm presuming guessing that at some point you would aspire to be a DOR or <coughs> um, how, how does that pathway look to you does it look confusing because as I say a head coach gets sacked these days a DOR gets sacked and and it seems to be the knee-jerk reaction to look abroad for a replacement. Yeah, but that's always been the case, isn't it, um, over here? Yeah, if they speak with a bit of a different accent, let's bring them over. Um, you know, I remember I my, sec so. my second my second <coughs> season at Oral, uh, as I'm sorry, my second professional season was at Oral, we got Ross Reynolds over, you know, an ex-Australian guy there. You know, it was, it was the fashionable thing to do back then as well. 
as I say, you know, you know, Ben's been a part and keeping an eye on what the RFU have been doing and sort of brings back these sort of historical references. My first experience has been, you know, since what happened in the summer. And they've been very, very positive with me. And maybe it's something that they're trying to restructure or relook at what we prioritise. And, you know, that might be why, unfortunately, people lost their jobs and everything. Um, but at the moment, it's been positive. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to give you a job or anything yeah, like yeah. that. But, um, you know, they're really investing time in, in me, which, you know, I, I think is you know, great. And I just think it's about getting as much experience as possible. Um, when when you're a young coach coming through as much experience so the age group stuff's great um, because you know if you can learn to deal on a personal level and understand what motivates people how to get the best out of them you know the younger the younger generation if you like um, then that gives you a great transferability into sort of you know senior rugby um, but it's the, it's the same thing isn't it you know the RFU don't run the club game yeah, <laughs> you know whether where where is the player debate we have about whether they rest and time off and all that sort yeah, of stuff, yeah, yeah. and yeah. who's paying who. So you speak about Exeter, of course, you know they're looking after their own entity because they're not getting any real help from outside, and actually that's all they've got to focus on. You know, bringing these people through, having that succession plan. Clubs are responsible, you know, if they, if they want to take the baton, they've got to be responsible for that ultimately, instead of sort of, um, you know, jump jumping over, you know, jumping over hurdles. Alex, what do you think? The the the, the history of, of, as Nick says, finding a foreign accent. When a club needs a new DOR, do you, can you see that changing? And is there really any real real reason why we don't trust the English coaches enough? I don't see it changing. I mean, I just just this morning, Scarlets have mm. replaced Wayne Pivac with. Go and pronounce it. I was going to have a crack at that. <laughs> Brad Moore. Yeah, it sounds Moore, like Brad it, Moore. It? There's with, a double O A in there. So double um, O A, which is on. Yeah, so they they've turned to. To New Zealand. So they've gone from one Kiwi to another. To another. I spoke to Rory Best last weekend about um, Andy Farrell stepping up to take over Ireland, and his point was he actually he used similar phrase to you, Nick. He said it, it's not about going out to find people with with crazy accents, as he put it. Although I'm not sure Andy Farrell's accent is particularly Dublin, but his point was Andy's been there as part of the setup and has come through. He understands what has been successful but then he can bring a fresh perspective and a, and a new voice to it but he's he's embedded in in the system and i think you're right the knee jerk i don't see the knee jerk of looking abroad changing because it's that it's that whole cycle of how do you gain experience without having the experience and the shortcut seems to be we'll look at look what the assistant coach at the crusaders is doing mm. and almost value that more what ben was just saying about the the england's age group setup not not kind of aligning all the way to the top when I spoke to Dean, his explanation for getting rid of Fletcher Walton and, and, and Russell Earnshaw was because their their perspective on coaching under-18s didn't marry up with what he wanted at under-20s. And he wanted a more, in his words, more streamlined, um, upward-looking system. But then I asked him, how does it work for the under-20s? You asked him, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, took, it, took, it took a while to kind of shed away the management speak. And he basically wants a more streamlined system with actually with fewer coaches which also helps because the RFU are trying to save some money um, but then from under 20s upwards Dean Ryan doesn't speak to Eddie Jones he speaks to Steve Borthwick so back to where we were starting Eddie Jones is although it's technically his job description to bring through young coaches he doesn't he relies that there's a gap between the man at the very top and the rest of the structure when he bought John Mitchell in do we know how many other 
people he spoke to. Yeah. You know, did he speak yeah. to Alex Anderson mm. at uh, Saracens? And you know, well, we know very, it. Very we know he where he went is. to Andy Farrell first. We know yeah. that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. There's a few. There's a few people that he talked to, uh, and and I think you know. So so yeah. You, you, he, we might be having a conversation differently if one of those had accepted his attack job or his defence job. Or but is that not a key issue? That if I mean the word is he did speak to Alex Anderson. I don't know that as a as a fact, but the word well, is that look, he did. And if Alex would rather stay in a club setup that's really effective and, and developing all the other coaches there than move to England, that says a lot, doesn't it? It, it does. Because, but it's a little bit similar to what I mean. What used to happen in, in English football, where if you're, you're you know a Premiership head. Of premiership manager you know you don't want to take the England job what why suddenly you don't play you're not as on, on the ground as much you're getting far more stress in the in the tabloids you haven't got the week to week you haven't mm-hmm. got the the you know so and in rugby terms if you want to grab a the, one of the top DORs to take over from Eddie you have to do a good selling job of yeah. it and Mark McCall's already said about a year ago that, you know exactly that why would you leave a system that's that's running and purring and I'm interested in this. I sort of aware that, that that this is sort of an in, a conversation or that 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 people might be thinking that. But you two see well, Ben. You just said it. Nick, you just sort of nodded as if it wasn't even a a talking point that that being with a club should be in many ways deemed more fulfilling than being the in the England thing. Like when when Paul Gustard moved away from England to to Harlequins, it was like, hang on a sec, you 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 were with the absolutely ultimate at the peak of the of the coaching world and you've gone to a, a club um but but you're but you don't think that's remotely surprising i don't think it's surprising no you know ben's alluded to it the day-to-day thing's big um yeah. you know when you're coaching internationally you've gone five weeks you know end of october november then you don't see him again for eight weeks you get them in uh in the Six Nations and you don't see him again for two months and then you've got a sort of three-week tour and then there's a big gap mm-hmm. in the summer and everything and you know, as a coach, like any sort of job, you want to be doing that job. I mean, it's it's a, it's a wonderful job, and you clearly yeah. to do it, you've got you're very very passionate and motivated by it. And so, so that's from a work perspective. The other thing is, as he rightly says, is the pressure on you. You know, we used to say sometimes when we were playing international rugby, there's no next week. Whereas in club rugby, you know, you slip up. Yeah, look, there is pressure on you, but there's another game mm. the next week. There's another game the next week. There's another game the next week to get back on the horse. International rugby, there is that pressure, and that's what you like. That's what you thrive. That's what you, when you were playing the game, that's where you wanted to play. Um, you know, against the best in the world on the biggest stages. Um, but you know, in this country particularly, you know, the, if if you're not getting the results, and that's what it comes down to, if you're not getting the results, um, it can be pretty horrible um, experience and existence. Ben, can I just Alex mentioned Andy Farrell? We talk about Andy Farrell. Yeah. Just a just a sort of a final point on this whole coaching conversation and English coaches and why do they not get elevated, etc. So, so we got to this weird situation where you had Stuart Lancaster and Andy Farrell running England, as, and as we all know what happened, they lost their job after the World Cup. And you're in that squad, Nick. So maybe we we'll ask you, maybe you don't want to comment. I don't know, but but how, how have, have the RFU or England? I mean, the media um, said that um, Stuart Lancaster should lose his job as well, so we we can't say that we are any wiser. But we've allowed this situation to happen where those two coaches have both gone to Ireland, um, slung out of the English system, and made astonishing successes of themselves. And now we're all going, you know, can we get them back? Well, we can't. We've, we're a Farrell, we're never going to get back. We're not going to get out for four years at least because he's got the Ireland job coming to him. And and Lancaster's won a. a 
Heineken Cup with uh, with Leinster. Yeah, but I, I think I think we talked about it. Uh, I mean, Alex mentioned it. What Eddie said, and you know, it's you, you don't always make everything a success, you know. And so you know, Stuart sure. ultimately was was um, was let go based upon the hard and fast results in the World Cup, and he was the top man, and as a result, had to go and. You know, there are so many stories of coaches. You know, I, I left England Sevens, although World Cup final was our last tournament, we had a pretty shoddy last season, you know, and so you know, many people could deem that a failure. And then you go and, you know, you learn from things and reinvent and press a reset button and you get better. And that's kind of your coaching um, journey. I don't think there's many coaches out there that have just had complete success from day one and, sure. and carried on through. So. So you know, do you sure, think England maybe got them got the timing wrong in that respect? So is there, if if uh, if those two had done their their years in Ireland and then come into England, but with four more years or three more years, would would they have then be the more finished article? Or? All I know is that you know that a couple of things turn around when you go to international rugby. You, you spend inordinate amount of time in front of media and doing all of that stuff, way more than than <clears> the, actually that's the job of coaching, and you're not actually coaching day to day. And so you're not you, you get you can get a bit rusty and you can overthink because you've got these massive t- pockets of just inactivity. And I remember Brian Ashton when he was coaching. He's the only coach I know that that he'd come down to Newbury and coach with me because he said he got rusty as England coach because he had so much time. And that's right, someone really? that, that that cares about his art, you know, his coaching art, and wants to do that. I've never heard I've not heard of any England coaches in the last ten years going well I need to keep my coaching going Stuart actually tried his best at you know and doing some under some age group stuff in Leeds and things like that but yeah so there's 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 a lot of nuances with stepping up I think from club to international let's move on this is the ruck we'll be back in a minute there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Ruck. Following the end of the uh, Autumn International, we're back on um, back of the Premiership this weekend. Uh, the Premiership has an extraordinary shape at the moment. Saracens and Exeter just motoring away from the rest of the bunch, leaving them uh, in their wake. Um, the, Ga- the Gallagher Premiership has become a weird two-tier tournament with Saracens and Exeter at the top and the rest of them really uh, all still just about in danger of relegation. Gloucester in third... Uh, and they're closer in points to Newcastle in twelfth than they are to top place Saracens. So Ben, what, what do you what do you make of what you've seen in terms of who's who might be succumbing to the pressure and and it's it's so hard to call. It's a bit like the game football championship top twelve places. You know, there's there's nothing to separate them. And you know, a couple of good wins will see Newcastle and Sale leap up um, into mid into mid table. I actually looking at this and going, if there's one, you know, looking at the power, the increasing power of the clubs now, and if one of those big boys is still down there um, in the next couple of months, I honestly think, and he, he will be talking about ring fencing in the next six months. You'll be having show after show talking about ring fencing. Can can I just interrupt you here because th- this is well, this is one thing I want to discuss today, and it's going to be my story in the Times tomorrow that 
the, what you've just said is is completely back on. The clubs are talking about course, ring fencing yeah, right now. Is. Yeah, I um, think you just got to look one step ahead. Owen but there are, there are clubs now. Who, so they've been talking about it in recent weeks. There are clubs now who who want to have the the fence brought down at the end of this season. So they so there will be no relegation. Yeah, and I think that'll be impossible to pull off because it'll be I don't know I don't know if, if legally you could bring ch- change the rules in the middle of a season. There's but a t- there's a t- I bet they could. But um, but yeah. there's a there's a big push to do that to to turn it into a 13 team Premiership uh, because they the reason they didn't get the only reason they didn't get ring fencing through before was because they couldn't work out what to do with the 13th team. Mm-hmm. They're going to get all this money from the CVC deal, which is going to go through next week, and all of a sudden 13 dividing by 13 doesn't seem quite such a bad thing anymore. So that that's part part of the conversation. It, it, it's interesting that that, yeah. that for, for me I've 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 been. Um, not so anti ring fencing at all in in the last couple of seasons because the relegation battle people say oh well, but the relegation battle is important but in recent years the rele- relegation battle has been almost irrelevant because mm. the the relegated club has has made itself obvious before christmas really there's never been any drama but but finally this year as we're discussing relegation is just i mean it's more interesting at the bottom than at the top, isn't it? But yeah. there was there was when my first year at Harlequins we got relegated. You know, thirty eight points, um, never been done before. You know, Mark Evans was a DOR then. He said, "If we get to thirty seven points, we'll be all right, lads." <laughs> we turned we turned up with thirty seven points playing Sale at home on the last game of the season. And he's the first thing he said as a t- <laughs> as a sort of motivational team meeting was, "Lads, thirty seven points isn't going to be doing." It. <laughs> <laughs> But that, yeah. that year, I was just looking up earlier, that year there were five teams within five points at the bottom. Yeah. So 38 points is the record. But, and that was but also down, 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah, I think also... 2005. Yeah, yeah. This, is the, this is, I guess, one of my points is that that was 2005 in, a, in a, what, with eight years, in seven years into professional rugby at that point. You know, and, and the game is still very young and we're still evolving. And I think this is, whether people like it or not, it's going to happen. There'll be ring fencing because they're going to have to because of the... The pressure on these clubs financially, they need a bit more. Um, they need a bit more planning. They can't, you know, they can't have to have these knee-jerk reactions about going up, going down. That thirteenth club, I mean, the championship. I'm not sure anyone knows what they're doing with the championship. Well, I think you know, the championship would benefit from, from being disconnected in some ways because it's just a non-competition at the moment. When you know that the club that's going to win the championship is the club that's just come down. Yeah, and so what? What? What is its value? What, what do you think? Would you be a, a, a fan of cutting cutting it off? And I'm 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 a fan of as it is now. Um, however, the championship plays a massive part in that, as you say. You know, if you haven't got clubs prepared to be sustainable going up, actually, what benefit long term are you getting out of this um, for the club and the development of the club? Because let, let, let's just look at the case: if there wasn't relegation, you know, what happens towards the end of the season? The sort of bottom six sides, what are they playing for? Or the bottom five sides, what are they playing for? You've got world class players at those at those clubs. They can blood a load of youngsters, but actually, for the paying fan that's paying the wages of mm-hmm. you know top Kiwi players, top Australian, top English internationals, but actually, you're pulling them out to develop a load of players. They're, they're getting short change there as well. But it would be interesting to know if you were to come back here in a year's time, having coached in Super Rugby as a coach, whether there isn't promotion relegation. What, whether you would, whether that would have any impact on on your view? We, well, you even look at Super Rugby. Who's interested in the games in the last sort of month of the season? Correct. They, they used mm. to. They don't this year because it's World Cup. It's shorter. But that, when they brought in that, you know, that month off, and then they came back and played three games in the playoff. Who, who was interested in those other yeah. games? 
Yeah. They're a bit of a free for all. They're sort of fifty points to forty. They meant nothing. Crowds dwindled. They didn't want to turn up. Um, the season was over as far as that was concerned. I, th- I think also though that Super we're not necessarily like we shouldn't put Super Rugby up here a bit like we shouldn't necessarily put New Zealand Rugby up, up here. You know, there's a lot wrong with Super Rugby at the moment. You know, mm. there, there's major issues on on the new franchises, on the strength of the Australian franchises, on Twiggy, um, Forrester now setting up this alternative program that that could end up usurping Super Rugby. So you know, I don't think it's necessarily look at that and go, well, you know, we should be doing yeah. that. But the, it's the no relegation as far as allowing these clubs to breathe a little bit more in the Premiership to start to develop their, themselves and 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 if a, I think there's nothing wrong with if a club has got aspirations to play at the top level that is down you know that is you know the the, the exiters of of tomorrow um, there's nothing wrong with them moving up the Championship and showing that they've got then financial capabilities if you have a 13, you have a 13 team Premiership then, you, yeah, then, then, then fi- you're just ready and waiting for a 14th exactly. team to make itself available and a 15th and a 16th it, 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 it isn't part of de- development though for players, teams, groups, dealing with pressure. Because what are you developing them for? World Cup semi-finals, you know, Lions deciding tests, whatever it is, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of the game. Isn't part of that development, have you got, you know, what, what's your mindset like? What's your clarity of thought? What's your skill level like? Um, you know, dealing, dealing with those pressure moments. So yeah. you come to a game but- and actually... Can you execute the skill? Is your decision making under pressure mm. as good as it can be? Whereas if you take that away, you know I get both sides of the argument, but that is also part of development. Mm. It's not about okay, there's no pressure. We can play as much as we can, get as many touches as we can. The balls in play a lot longer because everyone's got the same philosophy. It's actually how you manage your way to win a game because aren't we developing them to get as far as they can? In which case, as far as they can at the moment, you know, World Cup final, British Lions tours, whatever it might be, is about winning. Um, and that's the other side of the... the but climate. they'll still be trying to do that at the top end, won't they? They'll still be trying to get into playoffs and trying to win premiership titles. And, the, and you could argue the ones down the bottom aren't going to be playing international rugby anyway if they're, if, they're, if they're not good enough, if they're playing in a team that's losing every week and that's fighting down the bottom. I can't... I, ju- I don't know. I mean, I, I just look at the wider picture as well and go, they'll, they'll allow more English youngsters to be playing more regularly, um, to play in the premiership. That will then they'll, they'll, the clubs will be a bit more flexible about releasing players for international yeah. duty, uh, at age groups as well. Um, one thing, one thing I would make, I would, if I was RFU and I think I believe I'm right, they have the final sign-off. Yeah, is that if if they were to agree to ring fence the Premiership, I would for, force the, the clubs to ditch the Premiership Cup and strike much stronger that, that, that re- relationships the, the with the Premiership Championship. Cup's almost dead already. But if you, but if you strike, that's going. But, but instead of stockpiling young players... You should be organising this season. You've just only, done it. Only playing them in Premiership Cup games and then they don't play again for two months. Well, they, th- those players should go to the Championship clubs and, and there should be a much, cl- much stronger relationship with those clubs, yeah. which is possibly more possible totally if there's agree. no relegation. You could more get A-League out of the way as well and then well, just have to, and then yeah. play and just have just them play. playing Championship yeah. and then okay, that well. would increase the standard and uh, you'll end up having almost like a NBA type thing where you've got you know the main NBA sides and they've got these teams underneath that play in the secondary league and they can bounce up and down more freely and and those things were again. All, all these can bounce out of that. The if important thing when you're doing that is we, as part of Quinn's coach stuff, we have these conversations every now and again outside mm. the senior stuff about the A-League, you know, the debate about the A-League and whether they're on loan to a championship club or, you know, part of another club is clearly the the big factor in that is obviously training times. Um, when they come back and train with you, mm. 
calls mm. in how you style of play. Mm. So if you did have, like you say, the NBA, and you know, it's mm. a bit easier in basketball because it's mm. five players on the field and yeah. on, on, on the court and everything like this, and pretty much, you know, you know, everyone knows, plays sort of similarly. But uh, if you've got a different style, calls, philosophy, or demands of you as a player to be in a different position, whereas if they were married up, you know, that that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be tremendous. But yeah. there's a lot of sort of. Um, organisation to be doing. And yeah. Okay, listen, what, get that. <coughs> while we still have relegation, in theory at least, <coughs> so let's do it then. Everyone's got to pick a, a, a club to be relegated at the end of the season. Well, so let's Thank start you. with you, Alec. Well, pre-season I, said, <coughs> pre-season I said Worcester on record points <coughs> and I might as well stick with that. Worcester on record points. I'm going to go with, well, they're all pretty much big dogs, but a big dog, I'm going to go with Leicester for the reason I said um, the reason I said before I mean if if any side is going to be under pressure internally yeah and mm. from you know historically and from their own public it's going to be them um, and you know watching them you know not I'm not talking about what happened um, at the weekend because we you know that's pretty dire despite having a man sent off but you know I haven't been convinced about them turning the corner yet um, they're a great club sad to say it it'd be sad you know for any of these clubs to go down but I'm going to stick my neck out and go for a big one. Ben? I'm, I'm probably with Alex. Um, uh, Worcester, I think, are, are going to... I think they haven't been hit too badly by injuries, but they haven't got that amount, that much depth. Um, so I, I think that they'll, in a month's time, we might see them at the foot of the table and they might be fighting out with... Uh, they're much better at home than away, but Sale haven't really thrown too many punches this season um, to, to show that they're they're better than... Um, than perhaps they should be with the budget that they've got. I think Sale will get better. The, the, the two Dupier brothers that you mentioned, Nick, they they seem to well said that for a while, don't we? What Sale? <laughs> no, but well, they, they got they got those two who have just arrived. <coughs> James O'Connor's only played a few games. Um, Chris Ashton's only just come. Chris Ashton hasn't, yeah, hasn't really played yet, so I, I kind of feel that they've don't got some reinforcements. I mean, I mean, I'm just throwing. I'm being a bit um, militant, but. But Sale get that we get that a lot with Sale. Oh, this guy's just come back and then he's gone again. And this someone's come back and they don't seem to be able to keep their main guys in the team for for without suffering injury or drops in form. Um, I you know I'd be asking questions about Sale off the field because there's been no there's been no consistency of I think of performance. there's plenty of questions to ask about Sale and the way it's run off the field uh, on the field or but it, whatever. It transfers, I can't quite it see transfers. a Steve Diamond team going down, but. <coughs> maybe I'm just um, maybe that was uh, totally nonsensical to to, I, to say that. No, but I think at the beginning of the season, no, that that would not have been something they would have. You know, if you said, "Well, Sale are going to, you know, come second bottom in the Premiership," that's not something that they would have wanted to aspire towards. Then yeah. you know, I would like to rewind to our, our first pre-Premiership podcast when we were ask, asking, talking about who's going up and who who's going to win, who was going to struggle, and I said Sale were going to struggle, and Steve Jones just. Just scoffed at me for my ignorance. Um, so just this week, I'm looking smart. Um, <laughs> professional rugby at the top moves on to Europe uh, this week. Uh, massive weekend of games. Uh, the, fir- the first round of the home and aways. Um, uh, English clubs uh, haven't quite stamped their authority on it yet. That's for sure. But Newcastle are, uh, are flying the flag. Uh, I'm just going to run through the uh, through the fixtures: Scarlets, Ulster, and Edinburgh, Newcastle on the Friday, um, on the Saturday, Exeter, Gloucester, which is a uh, a massive game. Exeter uh, still talking um, about performing in Europe and not quite doing it yet. Um, 
then uh, Leon Glasgow on the Saturday, Bath Leinster. That doesn't look like a happy fixture for Bath. Um, Toulon Montpellier, uh, uh, Wasps Toulouse, uh, Wasps struggling. Um, uh, and then on the Sunday, Munster Castra, Saracens should beat Cardiff at home and improve their position. And uh, Rassing uh, at home against Leicester. Leicester, um, I don't think they really needed Rassing away at, at this point of their season. Um, but if they if they got a result, then they maybe they could turn their season around uh, with a, a strong European campaign. Because let's face it, they're not going to be doing anything else at the other end of the at the uh, in the Premiership, are they? It's interesting this weekend. Uh, if you take the Bath Leinster game, you could potentially, if you fancy a little flutter, you've got a nine-game home accumulator there. There's, there's, poss- you know, you look at those other fixtures, and there's, there's every chance that the home teams are gonna, are gonna win. Um, Toulouse have put on a bit of form recently, but not a huge amount, and Wasps mm. need to bounce back. Uh, Munster are going to be too strong, I would imagine, for Cast and Saris and Racing. And then uh, Lyon are fourth in the top fourteen at the moment. Glasgow, I think, a second in the in the um, in their competition, the Pro Twelve. So that's our betting expert. You are now, Ben. I am not a betting expert. <laughs> no, you I'm, are. I'm you're just well. talking about a nine game of accumulator. Nine, well, there you go. Stick a, oh, a five on that and see what happens. Um, because Edinburgh Newcastle is interesting. They, they are probably Viliami Mata, who's you know I, I know know him pretty well. The number eight at Edinburgh, who's who's playing brilliantly, got injured in the France game. Um, for Fiji, so I don't know if he's playing because he's I been. Spoke, there I spoke to Dean Richards last week. Actually, just on the phone, and that's all he, he spoke. We're talking about that game, and that's who he spoke about. Stop, Bill. He was saying, "God, you know, he's got this, he's got that, he's got everything. You know, we're going to have to stop him if we're going to have any chance." Yeah, yeah. Of course, that's just down the road for them, isn't it? It's much closer than any Premiership club. Yeah, it's they, yeah. They're going to have. The, it's all about. It's, Bill has been the leading points. You know, t- you know, carries everything off the whole yeah. lot. And that's that, what he's known as, Bill, is it? Yeah, Bill Villiarmi is is yeah, Bill, yeah, in, yeah. In, yeah, and and so Bill Matter, um, yeah. So if he's not playing. And there's every he didn't play last weekend. That's that that could be you know advantage Newcastle. Um, but that's an interesting one that one because I think if Edinburgh lose that one, then they'll probably change their troops the following week and and concentrate on domestic yeah stuff. Okay, thanks, gents. Uh, our final item of the uh, of the podcast uh, regular is our God or Goddess of the week. Uh, someone who's uh, impressed you. On or off the pitch, uh, something related to rugby. That's generally how it works. Um, ben, well, I, I spent an hour here and I haven't even talked about seven, so I've got to throw in Dan Norton. He scored three hundred tries um, in the World Series at the weekend. You know, not, to, in, the, uh, not in the weekend though. Not at the weekend. No, <laughs> no. That, that would be too much even for him. Um, his dad was also maybe we could stick him as a god because he had an, a uh, he had a St George flag with Dan Norton as the founder member of the three hundred club. There as he was drinking his way through so Dubai. Is he that the weekend. first ever English sevens player to score three hundred? Oh, no one in the world has got anywhere near that. First I mean, in the world, he's forty right. clear of anyone. Uh, uh, you know, he's uh, that, and that record is not going to get touched. You know, the, the next one closest is Sanatla probably, or someone like that, and they're, they're playing Super Rugby. And you know, Ben Gollings was the highest in England, and that he was on two hundred and twenty, so he's eighty clear of that. Wow. Um, so you know, he, he's had an amazing season. How many he's, more years has he got? Dan? He's only thirty, so he, uh, you know, and he's he's looking after himself. He's got he beefed up as well from his early skinnier days. Um, so yeah, so that would be my that would be my my god. Very good. Like, oh, god, called Dan Norton a god, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Um... Well, I, I I think it's uplifting rather than sombre, but sticking with the South African theme, actually, and finding out this morning that Nukadropski, who um, 
got shot over the weekend, you know, protecting his family and armed robbery, I think, on his brother's house. And I think he's all good um, in the hospital. He's in a stable condition. You know, because that was a concern, wasn't it? It was, it was, e- it was touch and go either way. Yeah, and uh, you know, to survive something like that, you know, you can be called a god. Um, let's <laughs> hope he continues. You know, the, the level of improvement that he's had as well. You know, there's no setbacks, but uh, obviously wishing him well, um, the whole of the rugby world. But uh, you know, not a nice story, but uh, uplifting at the fact that uh, you know he seems to be in good, Very stable good. condition at the moment. Very good, Alex. Um, on, on the field. The best game I saw the weekend was Harlequins. Best performance I thought was was Harlequins. I thought they were. Um, you could, poor, poor Gustard has has uh, has got them motoring now. I think and two players in particular, Alex Dombrant, who um, John Kingston afterwards compared to Nick Easter straight out of university. Is that a compliment? Is that when he had his top off? <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> I think that's when Paul Gustard said he still has a rig of a player from university. Um, but actually, Mike Brown, because we spent a lot of the autumn. Talking about Elliot Daly and he hasn't quite nailed down the fullback shirt and and I was saying that the door cannot be closed on Mike Brown to go to the World Cup because as Eddie tries all these other players he just still looks to be the most reliable um, uh, solid uh, th- that sounds disrespectful but like most suited for that role in this England team and I thought even with, with his new haircut he looked like a new a new man he's, <laughs> and, uh, he's just grown it I he's just grown it yeah. no, I, I just thought he played really well and it was a very timely performance to send a message mm. back to Eddie Jones mm. Nick just 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 on that would you have Mike as your would you bring him back into the England yeah, team yeah 100% yeah the guy's the ultimate competitor he's done it before for England and um Eddie knows you need caps as well you know I think he was just ex- you know I say experimenting he was trying a few things out I think as well yeah and you've seen by Mike's performance how he's responded to not being involved. Um, he's an angry man, that's his nickname. Um, but he must be furious now. First game of the Six Nations, <clears throat> Ireland away. Who do you mm. want at fullback? My brother. You know, under those sexton well, bombs. I can't believe that I'm saying this, given how much I've been saying that England should change their 15, <laughs> but but I would now say Mike Brown or Alex Good. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, same. I'd be sticking at it daily at 13 and stop messing around with playing him at fullback. Okay, thank you very much. I now have to declare who is the God of the Week, and it's impossible to separate that lot because there was um, uh, three uh, very different and and, um, deserving candidates, so so we can have three Gods of the Week. Uh, Ben, Nick and Alex, thank you very much indeed. The Ruck will be back next week uh, following the European weekend. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back next week.